Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 21st. Late October tennis continuing to deliver on the Pro Tour. We've got three extraordinary events this week to cover, of course, the WTA action resuming in Ostrava. We've also got two ATP 250 events, one in Antwerp, one in Cologne, of course, a couple of other challengers that we'll be monitoring throughout the week as well, but overall, just so much great tennis for all of us to enjoy as we head down the home stretch of this 2020 season. Joining me today on the podcast to break down all of Tuesday's matches, preview today's action on the Pro Tour. You, of course, know him as our crack rackets do everything. A former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing today? Look, I'm feeling comfortable because I'm right here on the Wednesday mini break. You know, I, look, I, I don't have Stokowiak by my side, but that's okay. You'll have to do for now. I feel good being back on the show here. <laughs> it's Han Solo getting back on the Millennium Falcon. Some things are just correct. Having you on a Wednesday, one of those things, absolutely. And it really does feel like we're back in the rhythm of the tennis season when you've got multiple events going on from start to finish of your day. You know, whenever you wake up, you pop up, whether it's an ATP WTA event, some sort of challenger stream you want to follow. It really is fun to have this much tennis at this portion of the year. That being said, it's also fascinating to see so many high-level players, you know, the caliber of player in these draws, Jamie. It's unbelievable. I mean, you look at the WTA event in Ostrava, you legitimately had to be a top 50 player to not have to play qualifying, and for a late October event, that's extraordinary. And I know, you know, the circumstances of 2020 obviously is what is leading to uh, this sort of quality of draw, but it's still phenomenal as a tennis fan. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun, as you mentioned, to be able to look around the clock almost and say, hey, where's a great match? I can go one of five different places and find one, right? So it's been a ton of fun, and you mentioned it. The quality of play in these draws has been really strong. Clearly, these players are really happy to be, you know, still be out here competing, right? It's not like the late October where you have a lot of people either A, not playing in the tournaments because they're just fatigued, injured toward the end of the season, or B, they just don't want to. We don't see that, right? These players are still hungry, and, you know, since they missed, so much tennis during the COVID season, obviously they're happy to be back out there. So no, it's, it's great for everybody involved. To a point you just made, that is one of the, you know, confound, or not, maybe confounding is not one of the words, but that is one of the, you know, phenomenal features of this portion of the years. The fact that these players just seem so fresh, and one of the big storylines of today, Rafael Nadal announcing he plans on playing both the past Paris Masters and the year-end finals, and you think about it, normally when we're at this portion of the year, and yeah, over the past couple of years, Rafa's won the U.S. Open, and so he's kind of enjoyed that victory, coasted through the end end of his seasons, but we're going to get to see a fresh Rafael Nadal on the indoor hard courts, and obviously in his pursuit of every Masters event, the World Tour Finals one he has not yet captured along with Miami. He technically hasn't won indoors in Paris, but I believe before it moved, uh, he won a title on the surface, or I, I don't remember. There's, again, it's a weird qualification. Anyways, to get to see him at this point of the year, that's just outstanding. Yeah, and look, it's not going to be the Nadal whose just knees are just crippled um, by yeah. by so much tennis and so much hardcore tennis at that. So yeah, it's really exciting to be able to see him play these tournaments and not just be in the draw, but seemingly really fresh and ready to go. 
Yeah, and that being said, again, one more overarching conversation I want to have before we get into the nitty-gritty of these Tuesday matches, because for all of us fans, you're watching this late fall tennis, and of course, you know, you don't want to overreact to any individual match. Now, I think it's a two uh, double-edged sword in terms of FAA last week in Cologne, right? The the glass half full is, wow, FAA makes his 20th uh, ATP final already in his young career. The glass half empty is, yeah, but he also fell to Owens six in those ATP finals. I guess my question for you, Jamie, is how much stock do you put in these late season events, particularly given the circumstances under which they're all being played? Yeah, I mean, given the circumstances, I think they're just that much more important, right? You know, the season has looked so weird, and so people are trying to get that great match experience in. And, and, you know, specifically for the context of FAA, yeah, it's, it sucks that that's the record he's starting off with. But, you know, you and I had this conversation off mic with okay, yeah, but he's made six ATP finals and look at how young this guy is. Look how much he has to grow. And so for him in particular, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. Some of these draws are going to be more stacked than they probably would have been otherwise. And he would have been playing them regardless, you know, compared to some of the other, those veterans who would have just coasted through the rest of the year. But, you know, for him and for other young guys, they're getting a treat here. Yeah, their, hard, their draws are harder, but they're getting phenomenal competition all the way through it deep into the season. And, and ultimately that's only going to serve them better moving forward. I completely agree with you. And look, we will be more ATP-centric in some of the broader conversations because, simply put, there are more ATP matches going on right now than there are on the WTA Tour. I think there's only one more event after this one in Ostrava on the WTA calendar, the ATP, four more weeks of action. I think it's like seven tournaments over that stretch. And so, you know, with that in mind, you know, what we saw from Iga Sviantek in uh, over the course of those two weeks in Paris, that's the takeaway of the clay court portion of the 2020 season. What we saw from Sophia Kennan at the beginning of the year, what we saw Naomi Osaka do in New York, those are the broader takeaways. On the ATP Tour, we have multiple players at different levels making significant jumps in their young careers. The obvious one, Andre Rublev is pulling the Daniil Medvedev right now, right? What Medvedev did last summer, that's what Rublev's done really throughout this 2020 season. A guy like, you know, uh, Carlos Alcaraz at the challenger level, he's doing what Yannick Sinner did at the end of last season, ripping off two challenger titles back-to-back. You know, he's not going to get the opportunity to play wildcard events in 250s the way Sinner did after he won a couple of challengers, and there's no next-gen finals event this year. Otherwise, he would be a part of it, but we are seeing these significant breakthroughs. There are There is enough tennis left, a big enough sample size that, you know— even beyond the headliners, a guy like a Shapovalov, a guy like a Dimonauer, a guy like a Borna Chorich, they're all having, you know, making significant enough runs down the home stretch here that you absolutely have to think about their form and the significant role they can play heading into 2021. 100% and the confidence that that, that, yeah, that it's given absolutely. them. You know, this is going to be a really big turning point for a lot of these younger players moving into 2021. Obviously, we, we hope that 2021 tour resembles, you know, something of normalcy, but, you know, regardless, they're, they're going to be feeling good about their games if they've taken advantage of this. So, you know, you talk about the Rublevs who are going to be coming off of phenomenal seasons. I'm sure this will be a topic of many future pods. Okay, how is he going to build off of this moving forward? But no, it's going to be a ton of fun to see sort of how these last few weeks shape out. Um, and then obviously what that means, I would try not to read too far ahead, but what do we project from those people who really started to stand out moving into 2021 and 2022? 
Yeah. Not just the subject of podcast, Jamie, maybe even the subjects of Crack Rackets videos here moving forward. And, you know, we'll have to update our next gen tier rankings at some point because I you know, coming into the year I said Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, and FAA, those are my four young guys I thought were capable of winning a grand slam someday. That list has expanded, obviously, and you know, Yannick Sinner, the clearest inclusion to that list. But a couple of other guys have really in this twenty, you know, twenty season uh, separated themselves from the rest of the pack, shown special characteristics that, again, as fans of theirs, you just want to see that reinforced down the home stretch. But of course, we still have a couple of tournaments to talk about here today, and the reason we are able to talk about all of these tournaments, because of the incredible support we get, not only from you Crack Rackets listeners, not only from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, but of course from our sponsors at Midwest Sports and Aerobar as well. And look, you're heading into the, the winter portion of this season, and hopefully you live in a place where you can go play safely, healthily at your local tennis club, even if you have to go indoors. And we all know making an adjustment from summer to fall, fall to winter, you're going to require adjustments in your equipment, whether it be your strings, your tension, your grips, whatever it may be, know that you have a friend in Midwest Sports, a place where all of you can have all of your tennis equipment needs satisfied, whether it be, again, your racket, your string, your grip, your shoes, anything clothing-wise. They've got it all on their website, MidwestSports.com. They've got every brand you could be looking for. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And of course, best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Ball. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. Also, to get your nutrition in the right place, turn to our friends at Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor, and of course, it comes with a podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. Of course, you can find all of those interviews featuring guys like Malavia Washington, Jay Berger, we had the lovely Laura Embry, we've had so many fantastic guests, you can find all of those on the Cracked Interviews podcast, and again, you can support our friends at Aerobar by going to aerobar.com using that promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off your order. With that in mind, Jamie, it is great to have you back because because it's rare. I suppose when I do these pods solo, the entire thing is like a 30-minute tangent or a 30-minute monologue, but it's great to get a little tangent right off the bat, talk about the big picture things, but now we get to do what we love to do here on the mini break, focus on the nitty-gritty, get into the matches we saw on Tuesday. Let's start on the WTA Tour in Ostrava. I have to ask my first question to you, even before we get into any of the action, your thoughts on the three exclamation points behind the Ostrava really stressing hey it's ostrava on the court yeah really grabs your attention uh the first time you pull up the stream you're like what am i looking at right here um are we just really excited and and honestly i think it'd be funny if if another tournament trolled them and was like okay yeah we're gonna do that too right like imagine that at the back of the court um on on, on like a major sort of stage right it would just look absolutely ridiculous but you know it's like at the back of the australian open it's like melbourne with like seven exclamation points um look it is. It's very interesting. Um, I don't know why. I wish I had a real explanation. So I don't know if you can shed any light on that. Maybe they just are excited and then trying to grab some eyes, but it's weird. 
Yeah, hey, you know, Dainu, my friend, whatever works for you works for you. If if that's what they want to go with, go with it. I will say this, and, you know, I'm a fan of any venue that is willing to host a tennis event, particularly a venue uh, in the midst of a global pandemic when it's just impossible to do anything like this. So shout out to the team in Ostrava. I will also say it looks like the Ostrava Auto Show finished yesterday, and they were like, shh. We have to build a court for this today. Like, we got to put this up. And so they just, like, built a court in the center of the auto show park or whatever. And they were just like, all right, this is where the tennis court goes. And it's a little bit funny. Yeah, they're like, ah, f- it. There's a car there. It's fine. Right. <laughs> like, oh, we'll just, we'll leave it. It's, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, I, look, it's, it's an interesting environment, right? Um, maybe it's adding some for some spectators. Hopefully it is, right? For me, I'm trying to stay focused on the tennis. But yeah, the exclamation points, look, how do they not just call out to you? Yeah, no, if you've ever been like an auditorium or an auction hall, it literally looks like an empty auditorium. And it's just, again, it, whatever. It is what it is. Anyways, shout out to the team in Ostrava because whatever they did to build that court, it has produced some outstanding tennis through the first couple of days. A match I want to talk about first here, Jamie, because coming into this day, I expected a couple of three set battles, and that is exactly what we got. We got an upset. Of a top eight seed, Alina Rabakina, someone you and I have talked about quite a bit here during this 2020 season. She loses to a former top 15 player in Daria Kasatkina, 6-2-3-6-6-3 today. Of course, the fact that this was a first-round matchup for Rabakina, again, speaks to the depth, the quality of this draw here this week. But, Jamie, when you look at this performance from Kasatkina, which, with all due respect— I thought this match was on Rabakina's racket. I thought she did the majority of the dictating. I thought Kasatkina, it's a credit to her tenacity, but she was lucky to escape with the victory today. Yeah, I think so. And, and when you look at this matchup, you know that it's going to be on Rabakina's racket for the most part. Um, I think I expected a battle. Um, I, I was... I was leaning Rabakina's way. Um, I won't lie. I did think she was going to be able to pull this out. But, you know, you watch the very first game of the first set in this and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a while. Um, a really long, <laughs> a really long first game. And you're like, OK, we're, we're you buckle in. Right. Um, and so from that point on, I think both players knew that they each had to dig in. And, and Rabakina, to her credit, she hangs in here. She plays her game. Just too many free points go the way of Kasakina in this one. And and that's kind of how these sort of matches go, right? It was on her racket and it was her match to win, but she just didn't play clean enough all the way through consistently to get this thing done. Yeah, and not, it's not to take any credit away from Kasatkina, who I thought did a really good job, A, playing high percentage tennis. She knew how important that first serve was because when she floated second serve, you're just giving an easy opportunity to Rabakina with that return to take control of the point, to play plus one tennis, to get opportunities to move forward, or you just float a ball. And again, if you give Rabakina time, it's a death sentence for you as her opponent. Kasatkina made 73% of her first serve. She won 62% of those points. So she kept things fairly simple on her own service game. She did a really good job of playing with variety, throwing in backhand slice, changing directions, just getting the ball out of Rabakina's strike zone. But for Elena Rabakina today, you know, again, this match was on her racket, and there were just so many bouts of three, four, five unforced errors and you could in a row, and then you could see that creep in uh, to her mind during that third set where there were just a couple of times on critical points 
you know, on the breakpoint chances or when she herself, it was a 30-all. I want to say maybe 4-3, 30-all. I don't remember the exact point, but she hits an approach shot tentatively, a little bit too close to the center, and just Kasatkina, too good of an athlete. She tracks that down. She hits the passing shot. I love the way Elena Rabakina attacked. I love that aspect of her game, the fact that so many matches are on her racket, and in general, you would think on an indoor hard court, it would favor her, but, you know, only 58% of her first serves go in. She's under 50% in terms of points won on both the first and second serves. You know, she's broken seven times in this match. Uh, it, it just was not the cleanest performance, and I guess for the young Rabakina, the question is, on days when it's not working, what does she do? And I, again, I thought she, I, I guess, what did you think of her? I, I guess, what do you think of that, really, that thought, that idea that, for me, that's the biggest thing. It's still, okay, when plan A isn't working, what's plan B for her? Yeah, and so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the serves because that's where I was going to go next. Just converting less than 50% on both first and second serve. I mean, yeah, you should just, even though she had chances, looking at that stat alone, you shouldn't win, right? Um, you're just going to get broken too many times. And, and even though breaks is honestly, I mean, there are a lot of breaks in this match. The other matches we'll get to, you know, including the golf um, Sinyakova match, you know, there are a lot of breaks, right? Well, we know that that's not exactly a surprise. I don't know how else to say it. Um, but at this point, yeah, you mentioned it, Rabakina. She's got that one speed. As she develops as a player, I think you know it's not necessarily going to move away from the offense. It's just going to have to diversify how she's attacking all the time. Because right now it is very one-dimensional. Um, and that's not to say that she doesn't have weapons in different places. But you mentioned it. If it's not working, really her only option right now is like, okay, keep swinging and hope it hope it catches on right um it's sort of the lesser version of the plishkova at the moment right where plishkova just does the thing where she hits the ball hard and it's like well if it's not landing what are we going to do um so truthfully i don't know if she has a plan b in the in the arsenal at the moment my thing for her though is just going to be if if the ground strokes hitting huge isn't working you got to find another way to attack and win points whether that's closing things off at the net whether that's getting crafty and trying to bait people into weird sort of you know slice rallies and then bombing an inside in i I really don't know what it looks like for her but it's just she's got a she's got a wide in the portfolio of how she can attack players yeah, here's what I really like today from Rabakina. She got patient. She waited an extra ball or two or three to really get that easy floater from Kazakina. Now, again, today, unfortunately for her, when she got that easy floater, there were just too many errors, and I did like that, but the problem is everything for her just is always so linear, right? It's always drive, drive, drive through the court. There's never an inclination to throw a ball 20 feet above the net, or, you know, she plays with a little bit of slice, but I wouldn't say it's an effective slice, but still, I mean, Rabakino is one of the rising stars of the 2020 season. This one loss in a vacuum uh, is not concerning. It's just indicative of the things she'll have to do if she wants to take the jump from, you know, frisky at every event to slam contender uh, perennially at each and every slam. But again, credit to Daria Kasakina who continues to prove when healthy. Uh, she isn't talent- as talented. She's got a wide variety. She's just another player to throw in the mix of like, oh, Kasakina's in the quarterfinals of the slam. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. She's dangerous in any portion, any section of her draw, and regardless of what that tournament is, you know, she's a force to be reckoned with. So um, she's sort of that that seeds nightmare. You know, she shows up somewhere. That's the classic dangerous floater, um, and she proved why today. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Well, then, with that in mind, let's move on to our next match. And it is not a three-setter, but the match you talked about that we have to, you know, mention because I feel like you and I have both become huge Sinyakova fans over the past couple of weeks. We've just watched a lot of her tennis, the way she takes balls early, takes balls on, you know, uh, fl- just flat cross-court and plays aggressive tennis. It's really captivating to watch. And, of course, it was a phenomenal contrast of styles today for Sinyakova as she took on young American sensation Coco Goff. In the end, Coco Goff, what a performance. 7-5-6-4 in a match that, in my opinion, really high level of tennis. And the place you want to start off, Jamie, by the way, you mentioned, you know, uh, you said this uh, in when talking about uh, the last match. Uh, in reference, though, to this one, you said there were a lot of breaks. I don't know what else to say. I think that's probably the title of this episode now, moving forward. But in this match, it's so funny because you look overall, there were, I think, eight breaks of serve in this straight set match. You know, for Coco Goff, she made 73% of her first serve. She was 32 of 47 on first serve points one, and yet the big number that stands out even in victory, 5 of 17 on second serve points. Is that more concerning, or is it more impressive, the fact that she was just able to make so many first serves today? I I mean, look, you you spin it however you want, right? If you want to be positive, you talk about, hey, you know, look, that's great. You had your first serve percentage almost at 75%. That allowed you, you know, that freed you up to get some great points off the first serve. On the flip side, it's like, okay, if you didn't get that serve in, we can't just be throwing away any point you don't get a first serve in on, right? Um, and 29% is, is just atrocious. Um, and, and look... Not surprising that Sinyakova was able to get these clean looks. That's how she created breakpoint opportunities. And and both of these people, right, both Goff and Sinyakova had chances on one another's second serve. It's just, you know, Goff left too many of those second serves floating. And, and Sinyakova, as we know, she loves that serve. When it's just bouncing up to her body, she moves the feet a little bit and really turns and rips that backhand. I mean, it's, it's trouble for almost anybody on the other side of the net. Now, of course, it wasn't trouble, uh, wasn't trouble at the French Open when she lost two and two and lost me a bunch of money, but you know, hey, that's uh, look, I'm not I'm not bitter about it. It's fine. It's totally fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, this was this was a classic match of breaks, right? And and you sort of knew that from the beginning. You, you saw this happen. They got into each other's service games, and it was very fitting that to cap off both of these sets, it was Goff who gets the break to win the set. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, that adds up. Well. Just to clarify, the first set was all breaks. The second set, I think there was only one break of serve. And, you know, that was a credit to Coco Goff really finding her rhythm in that set. She made 71% of the first serves, 21 of 27 on those points, 3 of 11 on second serve points. But again, she wasn't playing that many second serve points during the set. The thing that made me so encouraged about Coco Goff today, just seeing that young mind at work, the fact that she clearly understood, all right, I got to get the balls out of the outer third of this match because the second I give Sinyakova any space, any angle to play with, she's either going early down the line or early cross court and I'm just in trouble. I'm on the run. And so she kept just playing deep down the center, really focusing in on that inner third of the court. And then, you know, if Sinyakova tried to run around a ball or she tried to go down the line first, now it's Goff who's able to play with all of the space and To me, again, for a 16-year-old to be able to execute that sort of game plan was just so impressive. And then you can see the fact that she got a little bit more comfortable moving forward. The fact that her volleys really are so developed for someone her age. I think this was a glass-half-full performance, and obviously you're always happy when you come away with a win. But this was a high-level match, and Goff needed to perform at a high level to win it, and she did. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And and yeah, really quickly to go sort of breaking down the first set versus the second. You're or the first versus the second, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. The first set was all breaks, the second set yeah. Goff gets the break to end it. I, I think it's it's great that they sort of both settled in and were actually mm-hmm. able to hold in the second set. Um but ultimately still like Sinyakova serving to stay in the match and gets broken. It's like, okay, well, that that tracks, right? That kind of seems like how this match was going to end. But no, I think you nailed it there. Goff, a ton of positives taken away from this match. And she just continued to rise up the ranks, beat better and better players. That's what Coco Goff does. And yeah, as you mentioned, you look at the live rankings right now for the WTA. Coco Goff, of course, still 16 years old. She is, though, comfortably, I believe, inside the top 50 now, number 48 in the live rankings rankings that's a new career high and obviously that's something to be very impressed with if you are Coco Goff you look at the other results in Ostrava on the day it was a really fun match between Yastremska and Brady Brady taking a 3-6-7-6-6-1 performance you hate to see another lopsided third set from Diana Yastremska she obviously had chances to win that match in straight sets wasn't able to get over the hump Brady 8-6 in the breaker there uh, but that ma- you know again let's focus on the glass half full side for Jennifer Brady that's an outstanding follow-up win especially first match back on a hard court. Yeah, really positive stuff from her. I, this match was a little bit closer than I expected, um, being on the, the the indoor hard, right? We saw how powerful and how phenomenal Jen Brady can be on a hard court. So I expected her to win this in maybe a couple um, of, of tighter straight sets um but look Yastrzemska did a phenomenal job you mentioned it she had chances to win this thing in straights Jen Brady fights back um and is mentally tough in the second and takes that tie break 8-6 and from there you know Yastrzemska was just kind of out of it and as you mentioned it unfortunate to see it in that way in a third set blowout but Jen Brady just continued the momentum and and won at 6-1 yeah, it's an outstanding win for her. And speaking of carrying the momentum, Own Shabur, 2-2 two and two win for her over Striskova. Karolina Mukova, 1-1 one and one over Shui Zhang. And then Kudermatova, 2-4 uh, Do- over Donna Vekic. Vekic struggling uh, quite a bit since the restart at the beginning of August. Of course, those were your matches on the day in terms of the matches you have tomorrow in Ostrava. Really, really fun lineup. You've got Anissa Mova taking on Mertens to kick off the day. You've got Azarenka, Krejcikova, Ostapenko, Martic, Svitolina, Sakari, Kanteve versus Suribas, Tormo. Of course, those are all interesting matches, all of which will come up at the end of this podcast as we start talking about our ace of the day. So hold that thought, listeners. But with that in mind, let's talk about the rest of Tuesday's action. Let's move now over to the ATP side and to the action over in Antwerp. As I mentioned, the 250 going on there. We had, I believe... Seven matches on the day, all round of 32 battles. A lot of fun results, three of them going three sets. You look at uh, probably the result of the day, number eight seeded Alex Diemenauer, 3-6-7-6-6-3 over Richard Gasquet. Jamie, I know you were texting me during this one. I believe you might have earned yourself a little bit of money with a live wager in the midst of this battle. Your thoughts on Diemenauer coming back and taking this one after Gasquet served for the match 5-4 in the second set. Yeah, you know, you just, if you were watching that match, you could sort of see the tide turning, right? You saw how difficult Damon Hour was making the service games for Gasquet. And even even if Gasquet was able to get a hold, you know, you knew the next service game was going to be even harder, even harder until the Australian 
got that break. And so, yeah, there were some good odds, you know, in, um, and so I was like, yeah, I'll throw some money down on the Australian. I think he's going to get the break and turn this thing around. And, and sure enough, he did. Um, I, I expected this one to be a battle given that they just squared off in the ultimate tennis showdown. Um, and we saw some great tennis there. So it wasn't surprised that this was a close match, but this thing got really dicey for Alex Damonauer. Richard Gasquet had his number for a good majority of this match, at least that first half of it. I mean, he was just playing some phenomenal tennis, and, and Alex Damanara was doing what he could to scramble and play offensive when he could. But Gasquet, you know, he would step inside the baseline and just direct one of those beautiful one-handers down the line. I mean, he was really throwing off the rhythm of Alex Damanara. So, um, again, yes, happy for me that I was able to throw some money down and get some back on Damanara, but just a really fun match for the day. Yeah, you know, part A... I never thought in my life I would find a tennis player who might actually be both quicker and faster than Gael Monfils. I legitimately believe Alex Diemenauer might be at this point. I mean, you watch him take off. He'll hit a forehand. He'll slide out of it. At one point, I think Gasquet goes backhand down the line, moves forward. Diemenauer gets a look at a forehand pass and then has to sprint to cover a backhand drop volley. is able to do it, gets the backhand by Gasquet, wins the point. And, you know, I almost wanted to tweet it out and just rip the link because I was like, I think this is the fastest I have ever seen anyone move on a tennis court. And when you're playing indoor hardcourt tennis, you know, coaches always like to say, there is no excuse for you to ever quit on a ball because conditions are perfect. It's you are physically capable of tracking down every ball if you're fit enough to do it. And Alex Diemenauer is the nightmare, right? When you have the dream, you're playing the point that never ends. Alex Diemenauer is your opponent in those scenarios. And to your point, Richard Gasquet played outstanding tennis in this one. And it does sort of get you back to the concern of, oh, for Diemenauer, does the ball hang a little bit short sometimes? Do his opponents have opportunities to attack. Gasquet did have opportunities. He made the most of them, but just physically what Alex Diemenauer was able to do today. I mean, how do you hit a winner on him? Yet, uh, it looks pretty difficult. I don't think I'd be hitting any winners. Uh, not that I do anyway, but certainly not against a player like that. Um, and look, yeah, Alex Diemenauer, we know... We've known of his athleticism for a while now, right? I mean, you've seen so many of these matches, especially when he's really beginning to crack onto the tour. You're like, oh boy, this guy is going to be a nightmare. And especially on these hard courts, you know, he's just so difficult to get a ball by. And and so eventually that sort of wears down on Gasquet. The one thing that I was really, you know, th- that I found really promising out of this match and something you and I have talked about is sort of, okay, where's the offense for Hour? Like, how is he really going to win points? Like, yeah, that's great if you can scramble with the best of them and, and get some here and there. But if you want to get to the top of the game, you, you got to have some more firepower. And so it was really, you know, it was really encouraging for me to see when he had the opportunity. I mean, he cracked forehands. You know, he loved changing directions and, and really dictating the play on points and making Gasquet move because Gasquet obviously more comfortable when he's a little bit in charge you know guess he, he looks a little funky sometimes when he's back on his heels you saw Damon Auer um, wrong foot him a couple times and just rip ones up the line after Gasquet is expecting some uh, you know him to go back in a cross-court pattern I think Damon Auer did a really good job of providing the offense when he needed to honestly and the forehand the forehand looked really good today yeah I, I think I've said this before but he beats you to the spot 
And that's what he did today against Richard Gasquet in the biggest moments. And, you know, again, Gasquet, some of the shot making, you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, oh, yeah, this guy was top 10 in the world. I can see it now. And, of course, when he strikes that one-handed backhand up the line, I'm not sure there's a more beautiful shot in all of tennis. But it's a gritty win for Demon Hour to advance to the round of 16. And, of course, for him now approaching the top 25, top 20, uh, you know, these are the sorts of matches he's got to win where his opponent is playing their best tennis. And, you know, he's playing well, but, the you know, if the opponent brings your best game in men's tennis, sometimes it's just too good. And Demon Hour was still able to find a way to win the match. So credit to him for getting through in this one. In terms of the other three set battles on the day, Dan Evans escaping with a 6-2-3-6-6-3 win over qualifier, but an in-form Salvatore Caruso and then Marcos Giron getting a three-set win over young Italian qualifier Luca Nardi. Luca, another sub-18, or I think 18-year-old Italian three-set result for Giron, who again looks to solidify his place as he is now inside the top 100. The other straight sets results on the day, Andujar over Coria, Lloyd Harris over Quarantine Mute, Cam Nori over Emil Rusevori, and then young Zizou Bergs, uh, seven five seven five over Albert Ramos Vanola is certainly screwing up some people's parlays on the day. Your thoughts on the slate of Antwerp matches on Tuesday, Jamie? Yeah, let's start with the one you just mentioned. Uh, Ramos looked like he had wrangled control of this match. Yes, he dropped the first set, but he was up a break and appeared to be in good shape in that second set. So credit to Birds for flipping that thing around and getting it done in straight sets because you know if that thing if that goes to a third set you got to think that um, Ramos being the veteran on the tour has the advantage so that I mean that shows some real mental strength there and uh, for Ramos obviously unfortunate he couldn't push it to a third because you and I were talking about this off mic I fully expected that thing to go three and for that to be a really late match Uh, but here we are Ramos out in straights yeah as you mentioned that's got to hurt some people's parlays yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, for me, the big one on the day, I was shocked yesterday. If you check our website, you will see on the GSP Ace of the Day article, one of the underdogs I had highlighted, Cam Nori over Rusevori. Emil Rusevori, a really talented young uh, Finnish, I believe, player. And, you know, he's a guy who's had a lot of success on the challenger level, who I believe is now in or right near the top 100. And I think he's great, but I think people have forgotten how good Cam Nori's been on the hard courts here at the, uh, since uh, the restart in August, right? Right. That first round win over Diego Schwartzman he had, I'm never for, going to forget it, Jamie, obviously, because it lost us a little bit of money, but that was an <laughs> outstanding match, right? And I think he ended up making the third round of that major, maybe even the fourth round. And then, of course, last week in St. Petersburg, he makes the quarterfinals. Indoor hard courts are his surface. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I expected this match to be somewhat competitive, but pretty much goes the way I expected, right? You know, yeah. he wins by one break in the first and then wins a tie break in the second. It's like, okay, that 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 seems about right. You mentioned it. He's looked really good on indoor hard, and so he's just so dangerous too, right? Especially for those players who want to get in a great rhythm from the baseline. Cam Norrie's not going to let you do that, right? He's going to attack. He's going to come to the net. He's going to push the envelope, put the pressure on you. And so, yeah, on that day, if you're hitting your passes and feeling really good on your own service games – yeah, you probably have a good chance of beating him, but if not, you're in a you're in a world of trouble. No, I completely agree with you there. So that's a great performance from him. And of course, the action continues in Antwerp tomorrow. Really fun slate. You get to see top seeds, Milos Raonic, Pablo Carreno Busta, Grigor Dimitrov all play their first matches. So a really fun one tomorrow, Karina Busta versus Ugo Umber. That's when I'd circle for upset alert. And then, of course, 
for you American tennis fans, Fritz Opelka, I believe round two, maybe round three on the Pro Tour. They're playing head-to-head uh, tomorrow in Antwerp, and then Francis Tiafo going to take on Dan Evans again. We will talk about those in a little bit at the end of this podcast, but let's move now to Cologne Part 2, where we have another ATP 250 this week. Only five matches in Cologne, and all fairly straightforward. The only three-setter on the day, Bear knocking off Sandgren, a bald-headed Tennis Sandgren, or a shaved head. I guess he's not bald. It'll grow back, but a shaved head edition of Tennis Sandgren. 6-3-3-6-6-3. Your other winners on the day, Milman over Verdasco, Davidovich Fokina over Zumher, Oscar Ota over Dennis Novak, and then Yannick Sinner 1-2 over James Duckworth. Jamie, your thoughts on all of the action in Cologne? Yeah, you and I talked about this. I think I think we and anyone else who wanted to watch got a bit robbed um, with the center matchup, right? That was just, that was supposed to be a match between Yannick Center and Hubie Hercatch, um, which highly anticipated, obviously. Uh, but then, obviously, that one gets canceled. The lucky loser Duckworth comes in, and Yannick Center just completely um, cleans him up one and two. And so, a little bit unfortunate there because I was expecting a really really fun one between the young Italian um, and Hercatch, but. You know, here we are instead, and and Center does a great job of not letting that rattle him and him just taking care of business. You know, that's something we talked about—just a real sign of maturity. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to be that underdog and have some really you know fun matches that are fiery, and you 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 make a really good stand. It's, it's, it's a whole other thing when you're expected to win matches um, at such a young age, and and he's doing a phenomenal job of that thus far. So, really good stuff from the young Italian. That Sandgren Air Bear match, I don't have that much to say on it. I watched it a lot, but you know, I, I just kind of left it thinking like that was weird. You know, it, like there were portions of it where Sandgren was just slicing a ton. Air Bear, I mean, did a good job of you know really keeping his focus and and really just trying to win points the way he knows how, right? Get a good first serve and come to the net whenever possible. So he obviously he's always dangerous, but just a weird three setter there. And, and ultimately Sandgren, a little bit disappointing for him because he 100% had the opportunity to win that match. Yeah, he did a really good job keeping the ball low on Air Bear, almost trying to bait Air Bear to hit. You know, he also, much like I mentioned uh, for Coco Golf, played a lot of deep center shots, didn't give any Air Bear any, you know, obvious attacking opportunities. But Air Bear is going to be relentless. An indoor hardcourt, you know, the serve and volleyer, you love that surface for him. It was a really high quality match. You know, for Davidovich Fokina, the guy looks so good. Jamie, since the restart, just so rock solid, his ability to play with variety, throw in the drop shot, and then, I don't know, there's sort of this, uh, dare I say this, fuck you attitude about him, where he just gets a little bit tenacious, where he just kind of gets under his opponent's skin because of just how, again, how energetic he is, how frenetic he is, I I don't hate it either, I kind of like it. No, I, I love the character uh, that Davidovich yeah. Fakina is, is playing right now, and, and I will say this, you know who everybody gets under the skin of when they're playing? Zoomer. I mean, that guy is <laughs> rattled every time he steps on the court. So I, I can't exactly just attribute Good it point. to to the, the fiery you know tenacity of Davidovich Fokina. 100% there, and I agree with you. I love that sort of energy. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
in a match against Zoomer, obviously he's going to be pissed. Like, when is he not pissed? (laughs) It's a good point. It's a really good point. And by the way, you sort of mentioned it. Uh, We saw withdrawals from Hercots, from Nishikori, from Murray. We talked at the top about all of the withdrawals and or how fortunate we felt to see so many great players in the draws. Of course, withdrawals, though, always going to be a part of this process, particularly given everything we are going through right now uh, outside of the tennis court. But of course, those were your matches in Cologne in terms of the matches we have there tomorrow. Really fun slate. We get to see our top seed, Alex Virev, who won here last week, take on John Millman. We get to see last week's finalist, FAA, take on Jeremy Sov, Davidovich Fokina Johnson, Struf Chechenato, Kesmenovich Manorino. Your singles matches on the day should be a really fun slate. And I promise, folks, we're inching closer and closer to that ace of the day segment. Just want to quickly give a shout out to a couple of events on the Challenger circuit here this week. Uh, a really fun one going on in Germany, Jamie. Might be the first carpet event we've had since, I don't know, 1982, 1946. Who freaking knows? Uh, but they are playing on the carpet this weekend. Honestly, the Germans might have some extra success. I'm looking at the six matches they played today. German players 5-1 and one in those six matches. Wins from Rosenkranz, Masur, Kamke, Julian Lenz, the former Baylor standout, and then Max Marderer. And the list of things I want to do in the tennis world, Jamie, I'm not going to lie. My bucket list play on carpet is a thousand percent on there. No, I'm with you because realistically, I don't even know what I I don't even know what to expect. Right. I don't know what to expect. I've talked to people who have played on it and they're like, yeah, it's horrible. But I'm like, yeah, I need to experience this myself. So I'm 100 percent with you. We'll have to go hit sometime. And he lost today. But good joke, bad joke. Shouldn't have said the joke. Playing Max Cressy on carpet guaranteed to cause a rug burn. Yeah, I mean, did you did you yeah. laugh? I heard a <laughs> chuckle. <laughs> there, was a, there was a noise. Let's not call it a laugh. There was there was something. It was I I exhaled like a decent man. So I'll give you that. That's all I was looking for. All I was looking for was an exhale. Yeah, of course, the action continues there tomorrow. You can find all of it on Livestream.com slash ATP. Really fun matches. Delbonis, Schnur, Sebastian Corner, the Battle of the Yonics, Maiden, and Hanifman, Martyrer versus Laxanen, Dustin Brown versus Husler. Uh, some really fun matches for all of you tennis fans. Again, really sets the day from start to finish. Gives you something to watch in the tennis world. Of course, we've also got a challenger going on right now in Istanbul on the hard courts. Halmi Munar, who won last week on clay. Really impressive for him to bounce back at a straight set win over Elias Yimmer. Your other winners on the day, Serdorusic, Popko, Lamassine, Klizan, uh, Ikel, Markora, and of course, Mackie McDonald, who gets a straight set win over Gabishvili. You're looking down the list of these names. Again, it's ridiculous. You have to be top 200 to even think about having a chance of getting into these challengers. And it's just... It's such a joke. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is the fun part that we talked about at the top of the pod, right? Anywhere you look, you can find a draw that it just has phenomenal tennis. So if you find the stream, you're in luck because you, you're going to be watching a really fun match. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that in mind, one thing I want to do before we go, something we will do also on our other Great Shot podcast. And again, if you are not listening to the GSP, you can go find out find my conversation with New York Times' Ben Rothenberg, who joins me to discuss the top storylines down the home stretch here of 2020. But of course, each and every day, you can also find our GSP Ace of the Day, our picks for, over our, for our friends on DraftKings. You know, there's always so many matches throughout the pro 
Pro Tennis Worlds. Why not take advantage of that action? Put a little bit of money in your pocket as well. So, Jamie, I want to run you through today's aces of the day. Of course, you and I happened to talk about them a little bit before we started this podcast. So uh, let me just quickly for our listeners some info they may not be aware of. Big list of stayaways tomorrow. I'm I, a lot of the Ostrava matches. I don't want any part of Svinolina versus Sakari, Ostapenko versus Martic, Mertens versus Anisimova. No thank you for me. Fritz Opelka, Karina Busta, Umber. Those are all toss ups, Jamie. Right? I don't want any part of that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, stay stay far away. Yeah, stay, yeah, exactly. Stay far away from those. Now, if you want to hit some over two and a half sets there, you think some matches will go the distance, you could talk me into that. But I've got three aces for you, Jamie. Let's start with the single match pick. I think Francis Tiafoe, who, of course, is coming off of a challenger title a couple of weeks ago, who, of course, found himself uh, losing first round last week, but then coming here, beating Laszlo Jur in straight sets. He now takes on Dan Evans, who, of course, we just saw pushed to three sets against Salvatore Caruso. Simply put, this is a bet on Francis Tiafoe, who has now moved to a slight odds favorite in this match at minus 115, but I think those odds are good enough, Jamie. I think... Take an informed Tiafo knocks off Dan Evans tomorrow. I'm going to throw five on that to win 435. What do you think? I would add this to the list of stayaways. Um, I'm not confident in that pick because yes, Dan Evans was just tested. Yes, if just looking at the you know if you're doing the eye test here, you probably said yeah, Tiafo has looked really good, good enough to win this sort of match for sure. But when you just start thinking about this matchup, I'm just really concerned. I think Dan Evans can really target the Tiafo forehand at the beginning of almost every single point, you know, particularly on his serve. Dan Evans has the ability to serve and volley and just attack the Tiafo forehand and really make him uncomfortable. I think he's going to beat him to the net and really put the pressure on Francis Tiafo. And, and so I'm just not confident in that, Matt. To me, that's another stay away to add to the list. It's fair. For me, again, this is an eye test. This is a money where the mouth is. I've watched Francis Tiafo's forehand return, and I think he's just become more decisive. I think he's condensed the swing. He does a really good job now of just getting his momentum forward through that ball, even if it's only a block back, just returning the point to neutral. You look in their career head-to-head. These guys have played three times. They played in 2015. That was a three-set win for Evans, but I think we can throw that one out the window. They played twice last year. Evans beat him in three tight sets in Dell. Ray Beach. I remember that match. I think we did the podcast the next day, Jamie. And then Tiafo beat uh, Ed, uh, beat Evans indoor hard courts in Basel last year, four and two. I just I think Tiafo is actually going to be the one who's able to move forward. I think he's playing confidently. I think the conditions are perfect for him. I think normally if you can throw junk at the you know. If you throw pace, I should say, at the Tiafo forehand, that's when he struggles. But he wants you to throw off speed. He wants you to throw slice. He wants chances to make the match funky. I like Tiafo in this one, but I, I, I hear your argument as well. Fair enough. Guess yes, only for- time will tell, huh? Yes, only time will tell. Well, then with that in mind, I have two more parlays for you. One riskier, one of favorites. Let's start with the favorites. Conteve over Cerebez Tormo tomorrow. I also want Azarenka in her match over Krechikova and then Zverev over Milman. Now, it's not the best odds, but at minus 122, 5 to win 410. I think that's a winner. I'm locking that in. Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, look, you're you're playing with some some pretty heavy favorites there, and and I agree with you. All of those people should win. I, I'm not exactly sure where that parlay breaks um, because I would say I'm 
pretty confident in all of those matches. So yeah, I'm okay with that one. I, I, I'm not as scared of that one as I am the Evans Tiafa one. Yeah. And sometimes you and I get mad at ourselves because we're like, oh, we should have done that. The odds just weren't good enough. Why did we talk ourselves out of something that's minus 122 when we think it'll hit? I'm not talking myself out of something just because it's minus 122 and it's three players. I think it's going to hit. I feel good in that one. The riskiest pick for me on the day, in my opinion, Davidovich Fokina over Johnson, Kesmenovich over Manorino. You parlay them together plus 218. That's my risk of the day, but I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, that one's a little scarier. Um, Kesmenovic Manorino is a stay away for me. Obviously, the odds pretty neck and neck in that one. Kesmenovic, at least from what I'm seeing on Bovada, um, Kesmenovic, it's slight underdog, very slight. Um, and so, yeah, is how I feel about that one. Davidovich Fokina, I'm very confident in. Um, I haven't seen anything lately out of Steve Johnson that would make me think he is anywhere near ready to win a match like this, particularly with how well Alejandro Davidovich Fokina has been playing and how well and how good he looked um, in previous matches. I I think he's for sure going to win. I think Kesmenovich Manorino is the scary part of that one. Yeah, I, I think they're both pretty scary. And again, they're both would be in my over two and a half set range as well. But of course, to hear my complete thoughts on Wednesday's matches, be sure to tune over to that Great Shot podcast, Ace of the Day segment. With that in mind, though, uh, Jamie, of course, I want to give one final shout out before we wrap today's show uh, to our friends over at Midwest Sports and to Aerobar. For any of you out there who have any tennis equipment needs, be sure to go check out our friends at Midwest Sports. Use that promo code CR15 to go check out our friends at Aerobar. Use that promo code Cracked15. If you have missed any of our Cracked Rackets content, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You can find the award show Jamie and I did wrapping up this year's French Open on our YouTube channel as well. And of course, if you have missed any of our podcasts, whether it be this one, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, or Inside Out Podcast, you can find the links to all of them on our website. Of course, we will ask, please go like, rate, subscribe, review, share them with your friends. Of course, a huge shout out as always to our super producers, Max Figure and Daniel Westoff for the of an end job they do day in, day out, making all of this possible. With that in mind, I should say, Jamie, any final thoughts on Tuesday's matches? Yeah, this is larger than Tuesday's matches, but did you know that Robert Lindstedt was still just out there playing doubles willy nilly <laughs> with any partner who will say yes? He, oh, he's I... playing with FAA and Cologne right now. They almost won. Dude, he's like 50. That's yeah, impressive. No, that, no, that's worth a shout out. I, I'm missing. Is it Dancevich? There's one other guy who you see him in the draw, and you're just like, you're still playing. You're like that's freaking awesome. Yeah, I mean, good for him, right? It, it's funny because Lindstedt's name is obviously right next to a new partner almost every tournament. But <laughs> hell, the guys, the guys won some huge titles and dubs, so why not? It's a lot of fun. But yeah, you see his name. I'm like, is that the same guy? Like, is that a son? Is that a really like a much younger <laughs> brother? Like, what are we doing here? No, it's actually Lindstedt the third. Yeah, for um, real. They just, yeah, they just cut the three off the end of his name. But that seems like a perfect place to wrap today up. So for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, our super producers Max. Ligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.